welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason as we roll through Advent heading into the Christmas season. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here at the Mothership where it all began in Irondale, Alabama, thanks to our own Mother Angelica who started everything back in December 12th, actually, when she first founded EWTN in 1980. Email your questions to us at SpitzersUniverse at EWTN.com, of course. Vital part of the program. Check out all, all the Father Spitzer's websites, of course, TheMagisCenter.com, PurposefulUniverse.com, and SpitzerCenter.org. And, of course, this program, Father Spitzer's Universe, always available on our EWTN YouTube channel, EWTN On Demand page, a great page while you're there. Check out our latest program, Guadalupe Mysteries. Perfect timing for that one. Uh, our great friend, the miracle hunter himself, Michael O'Neill, explores the famed apparitions of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the mysteries of one of history's most unexplained objects, the miraculous tilma of St. Juan Diego. And you can see it now and for free, 24-7, seven days a week. You can watch it over and over again. Where? EWTN On Demand. That's where you can find it. Our topic, the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, it goes on and on and on. There's a lot of wisdom there. We're just making our way through it. But the book, if you want to read ahead, is available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, All Things Catholic, as is Mother Angelica's Lessons on Genesis. It's our book of the month. Talk about two great gifts you can give somebody for Christmas. Now, this would be a great one as well. And speaking of a great gift to the church, we have our own Father Spitzer out on the West Coast. It's always great to spend time with Good to be with you again, Father. Uh, great to be with you too, Doug. So Begin with like a to, prayer. That'd be great. In the name of, sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, especially the blessing of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. Let's uh, get to a couple of articles before we get into some questions and then into our topic. And again, uh, since sure. uh, I know you as a, you know, a, a statistically oriented uh, person, um, <laughs> Uh, another poll, this came out through Breitbart, yeah. but it's uh, a poll that was done by YouGov slash The Economist. Okay, half of young mm -hmm. Americans are either unsure of the Nazi Holocaust authenticity or outright believe it to be a myth, according to this recent survey. It says one in five Americans believe the Nazi Holocaust to be a myth, according to the survey. Uh, again, uh, I told you who did it. Uh, they say the systematic genocide, six million Jews, etc. They many of them believe it to be a myth, um, and then they say uh, higher than eight percent in the group thirty to forty-four. So in the eighteen to twenty-nine year old group, uh, you've you've got an incredible lack of knowledge, and it even goes up into the thirty to forty-four group. And of course, this has really come out with uh, since the is Israeli conflict uh, in Gaza with Hamas. Uh, and Pew Research also said, indicates that Americans under 30 trust social media as much, maybe why we're confused, as national newspapers with 30% <laughs> of this age uh, sourcing their news from Chinese-owned 
TikTok. Um, and so even yeah. people like the, uh, you know, you know, uh, renowned TV personality psychologist Dr. Phil McGraw accused American Ivy League institutions of becoming left liberal woke hotbeds fostering intellectual rot rather than critical thinking called on the academic heads of above institutions. He was talking about the ones who testified. The one did resign from UPenn. Um, the others one from MIT yeah. and Harvard have not uh, immediately. But certainly there is that, 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 that Santiana uh, quote about those who don't learn about history are condemned to repeat it. And we have people who don't understand yep. uh, what the background is uh, with something as important and, and, and as you know, impactful as the Holocaust. Yeah, well, I would have to say that uh, certainly the Ivy Leagues have manifested their incredible bias, um, and um, you know, e even though they're trying to pretend it's objectivity, uh, what they really have done is is shown uh, incredible bias in their uh, educational approach, and even in their approach to uh, a so-called free speech, they certainly have allowed, um, you know, the the proclamation of even hate speech. Uh, under the, the rubric of being objective and allowing freedom of speech. Uh, unfortunately, of course, this is a highly suspect view of objectivity, and uh, this is precisely what's being promoted across the board. If the Ivies are doing it, you can be sure that the trickle-down effect is going to happen. It's going to move down into uh, other colleges, and then other colleges it'll move into uh, uh, certainly high schools and uh, very probably middle mm -hmm. schools. And we all know the old logical adage, there are far more errors of omission than commission. Right. And there are far more lies of omission than commission. And that basically means that when, uh, uh, you know, it's much easier to get away with a lie if you just leave out a whole bunch of important information and let people draw false conclusions from, um, you know, a partial data right. Right. Uh, than it is to try and tell an outright lie and be caught in the aftermath. And so that's the, the latest gig, is mm -hmm. to basically, um, I think it's, it's not just the fact that um, there's woeful neglect in the mm -hmm. education of these students. I think sometimes it's not neglect. I, I think it really is, has been determined ahead of time. It's, it's a culpable kind of lie of omission uh, that's going on here. And I do think it's uh, oriented toward a specific social agenda mm -hmm. uh, that now has become very popular and dominant. Unfortunately, the media has followed that social agenda, and now, of course, objectivity is certainly out the window. And, of course, it's not just because mm -hmm. of the sourcing of, of um, news events from uh, TikTok. It's the sourcing of news events from uh, regular media. Mm -hmm. I mean, regular media is not objective. Regular media, uh, uh, you know, commits, uh, you know, lies of omission constantly and of course it is skewing the the educational base uh, of our uh, not only our young people uh, but our middle-aged and elderly people as well right. what people don't know is hurting them mm -hmm. and the media is very culpable along with the educational institutions especially those that are considered to be high brand educational institutions are very culpable for that skewing for those uh, you know, errors right. of omission. And so right. at the end of the day, I think, you know, go to Catholic colleges and, and uh, you know, try to get, you know, um, uh, your, your news from uh, other sources uh, besides the, uh, 
uh, the so-called uh, regular media. Like EWTN. Because maybe. right now the skewing, like <laughs> EWTN, yeah, right. great news. Right. Uh, it is, it's much much less bias than, uh, than right. the news on uh, the, the so-called right. regular secular channels. Right, and, and I don't know what, whether, you know, I'm, when you were, you know, obviously at Gonzaga, not specifically there, but obviously being in that culture in the sense of a president of a university mm -hmm. with other university presidents. I mean, over the last uh, number of years, it's become clear that there's been a lot of international funding coming from different areas of the world who have different perspectives, uh, whether it's coming out of China or in the Middle East, uh, that are funding uh, certain uh, mm -hmm. educational outreaches which might be problematic maybe that funding carries with it more perspective than we've realized oh yeah and i think uh, that's why i do think if if universities receive substantial funding uh, from uh, you know international uh, sources even international foundations it doesn't have to be an international government mm -hmm. though those certainly should be disclosed mm -hmm. but I think uh, even if you're getting very large so anytime you're getting over million dollar gifts uh, from an international uh, source an international foundation uh, certainly an international government I think all of that should be disclosed right. because I do think that uh, those things can actually show up um, you know, in the uh, the teaching that's going on, and even in the uh, agenda that's going on within the institution, uh, you know, there's not just wink, wink, nod, nod, uh, but there's also the uh, um, you know, you establish a chair, and then you establish an institute for X Y Z studies, and so forth and so on. And sooner or later, the influence comes out. Mm -hmm. You start tapping your colleagues on the shoulder and saying. Oh, you know, we have to be very careful about this or that. You know, be sure to bring out this perspective and so forth. And right. people are, you know, they want to be very uh, cooperative and so forth. So uh, you can see how the uh, the skewed pattern starts. But just remember that old adage: far more errors and lies of mm -hmm. omission than commission, and that's the way it works. Hard, you know. I mean, sometimes there are outright falsities that are told, right. uh, and, you know, and definitely, you know, people just ram them through by sheer emotion, and of course that seems to be the uh, the method of the day, right? Uh, you know, when when you're short on facts, just blast through with tons of emotion. Who's going to complain uh, about emotive fallacies mm -hmm. uh, from a logical position when the world today is dominated by emotion? Absolutely. So I mean, right. let's face facts. You know, it's it's definitely uh, uh, taken over, and I think the university agenda. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, if if you think that a that a university student can come out with an objective education, uh, you know. Uh, uh, today, I, I, I would disagree with you, right. uh, as you know, profoundly, right. Right. because I don't think it's really possible. I think so many other professors right. have skewed agendas. So many professors leave out hugely important things, and some professors right. just tell outright lies and just blast it through with emotion. Right. right. They used Pretty to call it in the situation. old days when they worried about it in, in lower grades, outcome-based education, where we've determined what we want yeah. it to be, and we just have to. <laughs> Prime yeah. the pump so it ends up there. Another story uh, that's yeah, been exactly. kicking around. Uh, House committee releases report on FBI's targeting of Catholics. Uh, the committee and select uh, yep. subcommittee oversight shows the FBI abused its counterterrorism tools to target Catholic Americans as potential domestic terrorists, the report began. 
In the report, it says not only did the FBI propose to develop sources, but it already interviewed a priest and a choir director affiliated with the Catholic Church in Richmond, Virginia, for the memorandum. Most concerning of all, uh, without the disclosure of a brave whistleblower, the Richmond memorandum would still be operative in the FBI. And of course, you're dealing with religious liberty. Also goes on to note that when the memo yeah. was initially leaked, the FBI claimed, and I remember this, that it originated solely in Richmond's field office and it was limited to that. However, new evidence released in August revealed that the Los Angeles and Portland offices were also involved with this. So uh, worried about yeah. the, those radical Catholics out there. Yeah, well, that's, uh, again, part of the social agenda we were mm -hmm. just talking about. I mean, the social agenda, let's face it, is, is anti what we would call traditional objective morality. Now, if you're against a traditional objective morality, then you've got to be against transcendence, religion, and God in general, right? In mm -hmm. other words, you, you know, if, you, if you look at objective morality, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you look at traditional sexual morality, if you take a look at the, the, the so-called um, uh, issues of life uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, and, um, uh, you know, abortion, uh, eugenics, you look at all of these mm -hmm. things, uh, let's face facts. The Catholic Church uh, is on the traditional side of those issues, right. and um, you know, and not, it's not just the Catholic Church. It's other truly God-centered groups of people are on the the wrong side, quote unquote, uh, of those issues. And so, of course, people want to break down those mora mores uh, in society, mm -hmm. certainly under the rubric of more freedom and more sex. But it, it's, it's much more, uh, you know, of um, you know, um, a, a broader agenda than that. The, the agenda is really oriented uh, toward eliminating religion mm -hmm. so that we can, uh, you know, have Voltaire's kind of cult of, of man or now today uh, the cult of, of hu human beings or mm -hmm. humanism without God. And so, uh, in, in a sense, uh, you know, it's made its resurgence. Um, you know, it's tied into the, uh, you know, get rid of objective morality. Uh, you know, well, let's be as free as we can. Uh, let's allow sexuality to go where it might, even if it's purely hedonistic and it is completely destructive of the individuals and uh, marriage and family within the society. Who cares? Our, our sole objective is, uh, you know, let us be as free as we can. But of course, just remember this ever and always. Uh, oftentimes, when we make all of these new options and freedoms, one person's or group's freedoms become another person's burdens. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing the burden arise. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we got to get rid of the enemies of freedom. So what are we going to do? We're going to wipe out the freedom of the quote-unquote enemies of freedom, like the Catholic Church. And so, of course, the old boomerang effect is going to happen. It's just honestly uh, looks pretty much, you know, like, uh, um, you know, the uh, the coming of the French Republic, you know, with Robespierre. And uh, uh, all of a sudden you have this, uh, you know, little uh, guillotine that's out mm -hmm. there uh, to get rid of all those. Uh, it's not just the monarchs. Get rid of the priests, too, mm -hmm. and get rid of any authority structure uh, that was part of the former 
uh, you know, monar monarchy, right. and uh, you can do it by any means possible. Right. And uh, you you know exactly the reign of terror and Robespierre and the whole thing. Right. I mean, it seems like, <clears throat> or you say, well, Spitzer, you, surely you exaggerate. <laughs> Do I? Uh, just wait. Uh, I, these, it's, uh, we've just got the, the inception of it all. Uh, just uh, believe me, if we don't start fighting for our civil right. liberties, if we don't fight for, you know, our religious liberties uh, in, in this uh, culture, and if we don't lay down the law uh, to fight for them with our legislators, et cetera, don't worry. Uh, they're going to be right. taken away from us by the administrative state. And the FBI, you know, unfortunately has shown itself to be part of that administrative state. Yes, uh, Virginia, Portland, uh, you know, uh, California, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's where the, uh, the, the breach has begun. But believe me, right. the, the, the violation of religious liberty is out there. The proclamation is, uh, you know, we're the enemies of freedom. And the reason we're the enemies of freedom is because we stand up for traditional morality. Right. Even though in my book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, I have shown conclusively through good statistical evidence that objective, right. good traditional morality is healthy for your emotional life, it's healthy for your marriage, it's healthy for your relationships, it's healthy for your spiritual life, and it's healthy for your culture. I didn't use any religious-based studies. All of these are proven by secular studies. So the point I'm trying to, to get to is you know, the, the enemies of, of freedom may be uh, the friends of marriage, the friends of your emotional life, uh, the friends of culture, the friends of the spiritual life, and the friends of, of relationship uh, development right. that's profound and, and filled with the, uh, a sense of emotional intimacy. So, uh, again, this is what we're left with. Right. Um, but if, if we allow the, uh, the social um, uh, media folks and we allow the universities uh, the, especially the so-called high-end universities to establish the social platform or, or the basis on which the administrative state works mm -hmm. like the FBI who's proven itself to be part of that administrative state mm -hmm. you know if we just let them reign free and we don't bring our legislators legislators and courts uh, to bear to control that administrative state don't worry right. our liberties will be taken away from us under the rubric of protecting the freedom of other people just remember right. that phrase of Montesquieu one person's for our group's freedoms can often become another group's burdens and of course uh, uh, right now I think the Catholic right. Church is a part of the uh, uh, the burdened uh, populace and a warning for the people who, who are, are, are part of this wave is uh, you know in the French Revolution uh, you know these revolutions eat their own or eat their young as Danton and Rosepierre found oh, yeah. out themselves they ended up at the, oh, at yeah. the, uh, uh, the guillotine as well uh, so you know yep. and we start to see some of that so nobody is protected when you allow this whirlwind out so yeah okay. yeah especially uh, it's a chaotic irrational right. uh, w a whirlwind that I like I said is just filled with explosive right. emotion ungoverned by principle ungoverned by logic uh, and abandoned by the legislatures uh, that's what happens right. emotion w rules the right. day but it rules it with utter destruction right like the cultural revolution in China in the in the 60s yep and, uh, 
which occurred, which Absolutely. again, nobody knows anything about because haven't been anybody learn any history. Yeah. Uh, another survey yeah. out of the UK, a Catholic survey shows the impact of uh, the shutdowns of UK churches during COVID. It was a major survey released this month by a British Catholic organization. And it mentioned the fact that at least that, uh, and this is not surprising, uh, and I'm sure it would uh, be uh, appropriate for here in the States as well. In its releases, well, the group revealed that more than 60% of respondents said that their physical or mental health had been affected by the church closures. Now, the upside is they said mm -hmm. that, at least according to the survey, that less than 10% of respondents saying it, that they were attending Mass now less frequently or not at all. Uh, you know, a lot of times people are a little Pollyanna mm -hmm. in how they do these responses to these surveys, especially when you ask them, how often they're going mm -hmm. to mass, but certainly the, the negative impact on people's psyche. Yeah, yeah, as I've said before, religion has been correlated with good emotional health. Uh, you know, there's uh, several very, very good studies. Uh, the one from the American Psychiatric Association, that's a Kanita Dervik uh, study uh, that showed um, that uh, people who are non-religiously affiliated had significantly higher rates of depression, anxiety, suicides, mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, antisocial aggressivity, familial tensions, and uh, substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, those people are not happy. And there's a direct correlation, non-religious people. So when you eliminate all the other factors, like, you know, differentials in economic, uh, uh, economics, differentials in, in education, et cetera, you just bring it down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, equal numbers in all the educational levels, et cetera. One differentiating factor, namely, are you religiously affiliated or non-religiously affiliated? The non-religiously affiliated are truly significantly uh, more unhappy, significantly mm -hmm. more uh, depressed and anxious and suicidal, significantly uh, abusing substances uh, more, et cetera. So all of these things, you, you look at it and you go, yes, that's correlation. And then a good studies on emotional health, et cetera, uh, that have been done by Harold Koenig and his group at Duke University, excellent correlations. Again, you can see uh, that religious people. And Koenig actually uh, went on um, you know, uh, to, to show um, that it's not just emotional health that religion affects well, but people who go to church, um, you know, and have a prayer life, they have much better physical health as well. Cardio he breaks it down into cardiological health, endocrinological mm -hmm. health, et cetera, et cetera. So he's got all of these things. And all those articles by Koenig, K-O-E-N-I-G, uh, they're free of charge, uh, uh, you know, from that Duke University website. And uh, there's a bunch of other articles, and I can send people mm -hmm. uh, several really good uh, scholarly studies uh, who want it, um, you know, that show conclusively the correlation between uh, religion and good um, emotional health, mm -hmm. good marital health, and uh, good uh, um, relational health and good spiritual health. So obviously good spiritual health. But anyway, so yeah, there's a, a absolute correlation. And by the way, along with religion, oftentimes comes traditional morality, mm -hmm. and that even boosts the percentages higher, as I show in my book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, very clearly. If you're religious and you appropriate or try to live according to that traditional morality, your emotional health goes up significantly more and your depression level, anxiety level goes down uh, significantly right. more uh, the, the more you try to correspond right. uh, to traditional uh, religious values.
Right. That's the last thing they want to report, unfortunately. Let's go to some of the questions people uh, <laughs> yeah. as, as sent in. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, my wife and I are related with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Since then, we have disagreed on how best to proceed. She's in favor of a natural, national ban on abortion put in place by the federal government. Given the recent setbacks in places like Kansas and Ohio, I think we need to continue fighting at the state level. Trying for a national ban at this point is premature and could result in a nationwide law permitting abortion. What do you think? This is Frank. Well, Frank, here's uh, my, uh, uh, my candid non-professional view. I'm sure the USCCB is, is working, on, uh, the United States Council of Catholic Bishops is working on this right now, uh, trying to figure out a good uh, way forward. The how, this is a question of how. I mean, ultimately, of course, we would want a, a national ban. Ultimately, of course, we feel that abortion is a violation of the inalienable rights mm -hmm. of, uh, of human beings, uh, the preborn human beings. And those preborn human beings are substantially whole, unique, human beings and by definition they have inalienable rights and this has always been uh, you know the principle upon not just which our country was based but upon which uh, you know the entire inalienable rights theory was based you can't be selective if human mm -hmm. then inalienable rights if a unique substantially whole human being which happens at the stage of a single celled uh, um, zygote um, then uh, then you know inalienable rights attach and if inalienable rights attach then legal personhood attaches it's not up to the state to determine who gets uh, the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursue happiness, and the right to property. Mm -hmm. These things attach to you by your very human nature. And if that's the case, the abortion, uh, the allowing of abortion by any state is still an, an, uh, a violation of the inalienable rights of human beings. Now, if you look at that 14th Amendment, uh, that, what does it say right there? No state shall violate those inalienable rights of human beings so i mean it's so it's you know it's not only just written into the into the law of uh, uh, i mean into the principles of of inalienable rights and governance uh, it's not just written mm -hmm. into uh, the liberties that you have and the and the life that you're guaranteed to have uh, you know by your very human nature right mm -hmm. an inalienable right is what you need under justice to be able to be and act human. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you need something absolutely to be a human being and act like a human being, it's an inalienable right. That's what's owed to you in justice. So you can't you know, summarily deprive somebody of what they need to be human if they are human. So if that is the case, right. then an inalienable right by its very nature attaches to the human being. So, you know, to answer your question, Frank, I mean, the main thing uh, to, to note here is, of course, we want a national ban. Right. And we want the national ban to see that this is all about inalienable right. rights. We still haven't recognized that. Right. I mean, the Dobbs decision was and, a wonderful and, decision. And that's I mean, part uh, of the problem, uh, right, uh, is that, you know, unfortunately, yeah. uh, we, you know, people have not convinced themselves or we haven't convinced them of the truth of this argument or understanding that voting for these in local That's elections right. in their states uh, quite honestly yeah. should be said they're putting their their their, their souls in peril because they're directly voting for something now 
that that they weren't even before with that mm -hmm. statement by me which I, I hopefully you'll support <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to take a sure. break if not you'll come back yeah. and explain Very where good. i misstated everything so oh no you okay. just stated it perfectly we'll, we'll be back <laughs> right after this with father spitzer's universe and doug keck causing issues right after this <laughs> Thank you for staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe, continuing with Father's book on the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. And we just had a brief discussion we wanted to follow up on having to do with the best way to deal with the abortion issue on the state-by-state -state level. And uh, I was making the point, I guess, in my mind that with the kind of plebiscites that people are voting on and stuff like that, you're, the people who are voting are really, really putting themselves in close proximity to, to, to these murderous acts of abortion, much more now than they ever have, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly from the Catholic Church point of view, um, they're, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, if you're voting for, for abortion, you just have to remember what uh, the Church has said since, you know, 80 AD, you know, so, uh, um, you know, when we're looking at the first, you know, set of moral documents in the Didache that we have, in that document, it clearly condemns abortion mm -hmm. as seriously sinful. Now, and now, if you look at that, I mean, it's been the constant part of the church tradition since that time. And you know, voting for abortion, man, that is coming, uh, you know, really very, very, you know, close right. uh, to um, to being, you know, involved in the actual promotion of it. So I, right. I do think people should be uh, very careful there. But also, you can make the argument uh, uh, too. Uh, non-religiously on the basis mm. of inalienable rights. Mm. I mean, and I, again, you know, if we look, let's just go back to the slavery issue for one moment. Uh, the Supreme Court in Dred Scott versus Sanford forgot that, you know, uh, that liberty was an inalienable right. It wasn't an extrinsic right declared into existence by the state. Mm -hmm. So the problem in the Judge Scott decision, you know, look at how the justices made the decision, right? They said, well, we look through the whole Constitution and finding no guarantees for these black Americans who came from Africa, finding no specific guarantees for their right to liberty, uh, therefore, we sanction, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, um, the subjugation of the black people to the superior race. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. That is written right unanimously into our constitutional law. Uh, and can Supreme Court justices be fallible? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first thing is, is, you know, hey, wait a minute. You were looking through the Constitution. What about the inalienable rights that were declared, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, Jefferson said were self-evident in the Declaration of Independence? What about those inalienable rights? The ones that belong to human beings by their very nature, the ones that no state can take away, you know, uh, without a, a just cause, like, you know, you killed somebody else and so you don't deserve to have that right, right? But uh, the, the point is, is no state can take that away. And that's, I, I think, you know, again, 
we, we should at least, I think I would, I know it sounds theoretical and it sounds complex mm -hmm. and people don't like these arguments, <laughs> but I think we should come back to All the right. fundamentals, uh, you know, that you guys, when you're voting on these states uh, it, uh, and these state plebiscites or, um, you know, yeah. for a, a ban on abortion yeah. or not to have a ban on abortion, when you're voting in them, you have to remember this is not a constitutional right issue. This is not a, an issue that is supposed to be determined by the state. Mm -hmm. Even John Locke, even you know Hugo Grotius, even Thomas Jefferson would agree. Mm -hmm. If it's an inalienable right, the state doesn't have any right to take it away. Right. So the idea then is we should be bringing this out in our ads. This is not an issue of extrinsic rights. This is not a state declared right. And of course, yeah. abortion can't be an inalienable right. You don't need to have an abortion in order to be and act like a human being. Mm -hmm. You don't have to enslave people in right. order, in other words, slavery can't be an inalienable right. You don't have to enslave people to be or act like a human being. And by the way, you don't even need a cell phone to be and act like a human being, right. though I know some people will disagree with me. The point <laughs> is, is everything is not an inalienable right. And certainly the idea of right. declaring abortion a fundamental right, right is so hilarious. Well, you know, I mean, well, it just, well, you know. What I, I was thinking about while you were talking about it, and, and, and again, it was stretching a point maybe, but the idea of, of the slavery uh, analogy, which you've used and others have used, but mm -hmm. what if we had a situation where recently what happened was that we got rid of the, the law that said slavery was allowed in the Constitution, and it went back to the states, and now everybody was voting in each state whether it was okay to have slavery or not. I don't, I'm not in favor of it, but I, I, I don't want to stop other people if they decide they want to have slaves. If people thought yeah, about well, it, that, that's the exactly. same idea, though. Uh, that's why I think we should have these ads mm -hmm. with that precise scenario. Right. You take another violation of an inalienable right. Mm -hmm. Of course, it got resolved after the Civil War, but nevertheless, you take a look at that issue, clearly that should never have gone to the states to decide. Mm -hmm. The southern states should have never been get, given the freedom uh, to, to, to do that, but it took a war uh, to, to make that very clear. But the point is you can't go around doing this. And now today right. it would seem perfectly silly to right. sit there and say, let's have, let's turn it back to the states right. and each state have a referendum all over again, right? Pre-1860, we're all going to have a referendum as to whether our state is going to allow slaves or not allow slaves. Right. It's the same right. thing. Right. It's an inalienable rights issue. Keep the darn government out of it. Keep the state out of it. They don't belong in it. I mean, this is a fundamental issue of rights that belong to human beings, and states right. should have no possibility of sanctioning taking away those rights. And if they do, as uh, St. Augustine said, and Martin Luther King and Gandhi and everybody after him, an unjust law is no law at all. It has no authority. And so, of course, we can, uh, civil disobedience is perfectly allowed uh, mm -hmm. under these circumstances where the state uh, right. gets involved in allowing uh, the violation right. of inalienable rights. It's an unjust but of course, state in, in this right area, then and there. In this area, uh, civil disobedience gets cracked down on pretty heavily, uh, unfortunately, for yeah. the people who stand yeah. up for life. 
Sir. And the people who uh, attack yeah. the uh, the locales that are supporting life uh, seem to get up pretty easily, unfortunately. Here's here's another question yeah. for you. Dear Father mm -hmm. Spitzer, person writes to us, I had heard that the devil does not understand Latin. What is the significance of the priest <laughs> saying the mass in Latin? Or is it that just for special occasions in the church? Lisa. Well, Lisa, somebody has misinformed you. Right. Believe me. Uh, the devil speaks Latin incredibly well. As a matter of fact, uh, I can show you about 15 exorcism cases uh, where the devil, uh, you know, speaking through another host mm -hmm. who never knew a word of Latin, was speaking exceedingly eloquent Latin right out of Bradley's Arnold grammar. I mean, the guy is exceedingly good at Latin. Uh, believe me, mm -hmm. he speaks eloquent Latin, and he knows the exorcism rite that's being used in Latin to expel him. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, he very much does. I would think so. Yep. My guess is he's, he's well-versed in every language, including Aramaic. Yep. Uh, dear Father yeah. Spitzer. That's uh, true, I, too. Right. I understand that ordination to the priesthood leaves an indelible mark on a man's soul. For grave reasons, a priest may be removed from the priesthood and laicized. Is laicization permanent? If a former priest repents of whatever causes laicization, can he be restored to the priesthood? Is this decided by the bishop or the pope? And this is Tim. Probably depends on the reason why the person was laicized. Yeah, Whether they well, asked for it or that's something. Right, but yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. I mean, mm -hmm. Tim, uh, basically, laicization does not take away uh, the charism of ordination. It is still there. Laicization means that you're not going to uh, be able to get a ministry from within the church uh, you know, to, to practice it, it basically means uh, you are freed from your, um, uh, uh, you know, your ministerial obligations, and that means freed from your obligation to the bishop, um, you know, when you are, uh, uh, you know, ordained. But, in, you know, you're kind of a priest forever in the mm -hmm. line of Melchizedek. So the, the first thing is, is uh, you know, nobody took it away. It just means you're no longer reporting to the bishop mm -hmm. um, because, of course, you don't have a ministry uh, within the church. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to have restoration uh, of your ministerial privileges, of course, uh, there could be a hearing. Uh, it could be done by a diocesan, by a, a, a bishop, but ultimately it would have to be approved by the pope. A laicization is mm -hmm. approved by the pope. The restoration of somebody mm -hmm. uh, back to ministry would have to be approved by the pope. Most of the time, you know, if there has been a laicization, uh, you know, the idea of restoration is, you know, obviously the church is going to be very skeptical, and you would hmm. too. I mean, you, you know, burned once, you know, shame on you. Burned twice, shame on me. Right. So the point is pretty clear. They're going to be very, very careful. And, of course, if it was for a serious reason that right. laicization occurred, then, uh, um, you know, pretty much um, uh, you are... Right. Um, uh, not going to be, uh, you know, restored uh, okay. to any kind of ministry. Very good. Moving over to the book, uh, page 66. We had talked about uh, the, the impact uh, last time about the birth control pill and its impact on society, uh, certainly mm -hmm. coming into the 60s, etc. And, and you talk about the, mm -hmm. that whole idea in your level one about how we treat moving to treating sexuality as an end in itself. Commitment was no longer an integral part 
uh, of the purpose or the nature of sexuality. Then you go on, and because you were talking about culture earlier, which led to an increasing superficiality in movies and literature. The creative arts were now less concerned with conveying deeper meaning and values through profound dialogue and more concerned with providing additional libidinal stimulus and audience arousal, which then leads to the exponential rise in pornography. And then, of course, as, as we know, and we've talked before, that hypersexualization, which then becomes more and more explicit, because like as a drug, to have the mm -hmm. same reaction, you need to increase the dosage. Yeah, no, that's uh, the you know I, I the, the point is well made. Uh, you know, if I do say so myself, because of course the uh, the the first thing that happens is is people start getting used to this and they start wanting the baser stimulus. Mm -hmm. And so of course, why worry about getting values from a movie? My first purpose to go to the movie is to be stimulated. Mm -hmm. It could be sexually stimulated or stimulated by violence and action or stimulated by uh, you know, a variety of different things, you know, uh, vanities, appeal to greed, appeal to whatever. But the point is the idea of watching a movie uh, because there's a profound message or because there's something thoughtful, uh, you know, something that calls us to a higher uh, moral order, uh, calls us to uh, a greater charity, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that certainly are, those are movies that are going to go by the wayside and the real popular ones are going to be the ones that have the most stimulus. Mm -hmm. And we know that the stimulus that is most favored, even beyond violence and action, most favored is sexual stimulus. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, pretty much you're going to have to put something uh, into every movie uh, that's not going to be, you know, G for, you know, uh, younger audiences or family audiences. Uh, you're going to want some uh, uh, definite um, mm -hmm. uh, non-PG uh, ratings, you know, and uh, uh, you get the point. Um, uh, pretty much uh, you can see where movies have gone. I think the movies, mm -hmm. <laughs> so many of the movies, so many of the, of the, uh, the, the serials that we watch mm -hmm. today on television, are so utterly superficial right. and so gratuitously, you know, filled with sexual innuendos, and to the point they can get away with it, mm -hmm. even filled with, uh, you know, uh, more than sexual innuendos, right. uh, sort of explicit uh, movements toward that, right. uh, toward sexuality. Right. And of course, if you get it off the uh, big networks and you start, you know, doing the the uh, the uh, fil the uh, uh, services like Netflix and things mm -hmm. of that nature, where right. You basically have control over your, uh, your own, own computer content. Uh, essentially, the streaming services can pretty much show whatever. Right. Uh, you know, so long as you you don't want to put any uh, um, you know limits Filters to your or blocks uh, preferences. Or anything, you can. Right. Uh, that's right. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You, you make the point also in the book, in the view of, of all of this above, it should be come as no surprise that the Christian view of sexuality and the culture's view of sexuality are increasingly opposed to one another. I remember the old joke used to be that we, we'd be considered puritanical mm -hmm. and a Puritan was a person that was worried that somewhere in the world someone was having a good time. That was kind of the, the canard yeah. that was kind of yeah. focused. You know, you're just a killjoy, yeah. Father. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, you're killing my buzz. Nah. Yeah, so for all intents, yeah, buzz killer. But uh, unfortunately, um, I'd, I'd have to say that um, 
uh, if we're not more conscious of this, it will uh, definitely break down our, what I would call in, in my levels of happiness, mm -hmm. your level three and your level four happiness is eventually uh, going to become uh, dulled to the point of not even desiring it. You know, you're just going to have to get, you know, that extra sexual stimulus on level one mm -hmm. and the uh, extra narcissistic and ego stimulus on level two. And so what winds up happening, uh, you know, to people is, you know, if they're so dulled mm -hmm. to the possibility, for example, of having emotional intimacy for the sake of their spouses and their children within a marriage and family, if that is so dulled by the fact that, you know, you just got to get mm -hmm. to the next porn episode on, right. you know, the uh, computer uh, when you get home or at work, and by the time you, 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 uh, you finish, you're not going to have any intimacy in that family. Well, that's going to make it really darn, uh, you know, difficult, you know, to uh, to not only have a family life and a relational life uh, that's got values and teach values, it's going to be even hard to express, mm -hmm. you know, deep emotion, felt love, uh, and, you know, and, and uh, even a sense of real goodness and purpose of goodness uh, for the kids and for the spouse. You become utterly indifferent mm -hmm. to their good. And we see it all the time. The, the divorce rate is... <clears throat> gone skyrocketing out of control and the marriages that we you know uh, the rate of marriage um you know since the 19 uh, early 1960s has dropped uh, mm -hmm. almost by uh, over uh, uh you know almost over a half um so it's it's really i mean it's like wow mm -hmm. you know it's, it's it's terrible right now so you know um that's the culture we've developed and We've become a very superficial culture indeed. We are not a deep culture, and our universities are out there promoting it. It's the most remarkable thing in the world. But I look at these themes of Dostoevsky, for example, in the Brothers Karamazov and mm -hmm. in Crime and Punishment. That guy, that Dostoevsky, almost he anticipated mm -hmm. the kind of the, the moral breakdown. Uh, he attributed, of course, to a more socialistic thing. But, you know, today we see it's really part of the culture of narcissism. Uh, Christopher Lash, uh, who was originally a Marxist, mm -hmm. um, I don't think so anymore. He's sort of a pro-family guy now. But uh, uh, when he wrote that book, Cultural uh, Narcissism, he was a Marxist. And even he could see at the time, we're becoming so utterly superficial mm -hmm. uh, in the culture. It's a wonder uh, that we, we still have even... Uh, a contributive sense, a sense of decency, a sense of, you know, the kind of stick to itness and commitment that we need uh, to have a family and a stable environment for our uh, children. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we've become really, a, you know, almost a, a weak need culture. Of course, there are lots of exceptions. I mean, you've got, the, you know, lots and lots of good, faithful Catholics who are raising their kids in good, strong families with uh, good morals and good example. And, and that certainly is out there. And good families of other religions that are very, very strong as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, those things are, are all there. But the point, uh, you know, that's pretty clear is, is that on the whole, mm -hmm. as religion weakens, 
traditional morals weaken, as I said, and as that occurs, mm -hmm. you can see the superficialization of the culture, the superficialization, uh, you know, to coin a word, of sexuality, right. the superficialization of, uh, you know, emotional intimacy to the point where it almost no mm -hmm. longer exists, the superficialization of generativity, self-gift and self-sacrifice to the point where it just doesn't even occur. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty so, bleak. So I mean, which, you know, uh, I'm an optimist, though. Right, right. And I just want to say that. I don't want to end up compared to me, you are, I can no. tell you that. Uh, yeah. but, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but let me ask you, which comes yeah. first? Is it the weakening in the spirituality, in the, in, in, in the religiosity of people, which leads to that kind of erosion into the sexuality? Or is it the easing of the sexuality thing that then impacts the religion? Or does it work both ways? Well, it started with, um, you know, religion, honestly, but uh, shortly thereafter, if I can just use my own bias here, the evil spirit, uh, you know, made the revulsion toward decency uh, in, in sexuality and decency um, in uh, the moral life. Um, it basically led to that revulsion mm -hmm. near about the same time. So, but he put it into place, uh, you know, very... Um, uh, very uh, structurally, he undermined religion first because, mm -hmm. of course, if you undermine religion, traditional uh, morality is going to be very, very weakened. And then, of course, he put a revulsion toward, <clears throat> toward traditional morals uh, along with it. And then uh, now the two are just working hand in hand. Mm -hmm. The desire for more sex, more freedom, <coughs> and more autonomy <clears throat> is uh, coinciding with the so-called liberation, not just from right. morals, but from religion. Right. Is, is that also because well, they of the... they don't figure out... Yeah, right. That they mm -hmm. also figure... I'm sorry, Father, just the idea that, like anything else, mm -hmm. uh, they keep expecting that's going to give them happiness or, or, or solve their problems, and as they get more, it doesn't, mm -hmm. so they keep demanding more. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, they've settled upon a superficial form of happiness. Mm -hmm. They won't go to the higher levels of happiness, right? Contributive, self-sacrificial, emotionally intimate mm -hmm. love and family. They're not going to go to religion, right? They're, you know, and, and transcendence, you know, with all of its, um, uh, you know, morals and, uh, you know, all of its uh, you know, worship of a supreme being and, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, an obligation mm -hmm. and responsibility to a moral authority outside of uh, themselves. So they're not going to go there. So the only place, you know, when they're unhappy, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they've gone after ego comparative happiness, they've gone after a material and, you know, just uh, sensorial pleasure <clears throat> with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it doesn't work. They're not going to go to level three and level four, you know, uh, back to God and, and, and to love and to morals. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They come right back and demand more mm -hmm. one and two because they keep making the same mistake again and again. And of course, it, it still leaves them empty. Mm -hmm. It still leaves right. them without purpose. It still leaves them without any ground. It still leaves them without any hope in an eternity or a hope and a dignity beyond themselves. And of course, they still feel empty, alienated, lonely, and filled with malaise. And so what do they do? Just like Einstein said, you know, the definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior again and again and again and again, expecting a different result. But that's what they do. Right. And so they're driving themselves nuts. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's why you see 
the terrifically huge increase in suicides among young people, especially women, and the terrifically increased homicides among um, right. young people, especially men, and the terrific uh, uh, increase in depression and anxiety and substance abuse and familial tensions with that same group of young people. They are just going into that cycle of, uh, you know, one and two, just, uh, you know, don't satisfy me. Therefore, I need more one and two. And then you just keep cycle, right. cycle, right. cycle, cycle to the point where there's nothing left. They have no dignity, no generativity, no sense of, of moral purpose, no sense of purpose, uh, ideal purpose. Basically, the thing is, at the end of the day, uh, you know, without any of these things and without God to ground an ultimate and absolute identity, an absolute and ultimate hope, an absolute and ultimate destiny, an absolute and ultimate purpose of life, without it, without God, and without morality, without generative contribution, uh, you know, and the desire to even make sacrifice for the, another person, you can see what's going to happen. Uh, you know, basically, we're going to get the culture right. of suicide and the culture of uh, depression, anxiety, and homicide. Please. And we got it in Right. You say it's, it's noteworthy that after decades of stability in teen depression, anxiety, suicide, and homicide rates, the last decade, 205 to 217, has shown steep in increases a 52% increase in depression and anxiety among teens, 63% increase among young adults, a 56% increase teen suicides, and a 23% increase in teen homicides. That's right. And uh, by the way, that was pre-COVID. Right. I was so going to say. So I wrote the manuscript for right. that book before COVID. Right, right. Now you can just double all of those statistics right. post-COVID. And it, it just keeps even now that COVID has ended. It still keeps going up right. because the reason is the same. We need more than ego comparative material and pleasure filled right. identity and purpose in life. We need contributive purpose in life, moral purpose in life, and uh, religious and sacred purpose in life. And if we don't, I mean, that's what we're, you know, as Augustine mm -hmm. said, for thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Mm -hmm. And that is what, I mean, it's very clear to me what's going on in the culture. Of course, uh, the woke environment doesn't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the point with woke is it gives you the false sense of being contributive. It gives you the false sense of being moral. It's got a little bit of contributive and moral in it. Yes, it does. But at this, uh, no question about it. They want to take care of this agenda or that agenda that is very important. And I would not say that it's non-contributive and non-moral. But at the end of the day, it's again that problem of there are far more errors of omission than commission. You just take that little sliver and you're, there's where you're moral and there's where you're contributive. Right. But this other whole dimension that's related to the family where you're not contributive or more, a whole other dimension uh, which is related to, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the adherence uh, to an order that is fundamentally respectful uh, of the good of the other, uh, you know, that, that doesn't, you know, just go after ego comparative identity with a vengeance, you know, constantly comparing ourselves to others, constantly dominating others and crushing the competition and everything else. If you just, if, if you, you know, if you, if you just let, uh, as it were, um, you know, the, uh, the, you know, what you might call a woke identity, right. uh, you know, give you that false impression that you're fully contributive 
or fully moral. It isn't. It's very partial. Right. And of course, it's the very partiality of that which, of course, keeps get, leaving people empty, alienated, Absolutely. lonely, and, and so forth. And, and of course, and they're not going to get it resolved by being more woke. And not, not, not this week anyway, because we are out of time. So we'll have to save you till the next time <laughs> where you can figure this out for all of those woke people out there. If you'd like to give us your blessing <laughs> on the way out the door, that'd be great. You bet. Uh, absolutely. And may Almighty God send His Holy Spirit down upon you with the full sense of wisdom and morality and sacredness and decency, the full sense of where His heart is for the good of each one of us and all of us collectively so that you can be an example and an ideal for the people around you and hopefully lead many into that light of eternity given to us by Christ Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Always a pleasure, Father. Stay well. We shall see you next week. And don't forget Father Spitzer's books and DVDs, always available, EWTNRC.com, for all things Catholic, Mother Angelica, and Father Spitzer. Next week we'll continue on with the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, of course. Bookmark this weekend, a couple of books published by EWTN, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits, Adoring Jesus with His Mother, and Diary of a Future Saint, Faustina's Incredible Journey, by our friend Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. And we are happy to present the Pontifical Solemn High Mass from the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is being offered by His Eminence Cardinal Raymond Burke, Saturday, December 16th at noon Eastern Time, right here on EWTN, where you'll find us next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. Thanks.